Well, good morning, church. Uh, you can get those Bibles open to Mark chapter 11. And just want to say happy Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day where churches everywhere historically celebrate the triumphal entry. It's that, it's that Sunday right before the crucifixion where Jesus entered into Jerusalem and was hailed as the promised Messiah, the King who came to save his people. Now I was thinking about this. Everybody loves a moment of triumph. I was seeing earlier this week that sports networks were showing replays of the shot. Now, I hardly even need to explain what that is, but of course, it refers to Kawhi and that buzzer beater in Game 7 last year in the Eastern Conference semifinals over the 76ers, where the Raptors would be then on their way to their first ever championship. Now, I got to admit to you that I, I'm not even really all that big of a basketball guy, but I have seen that play over and over again. And every single time, no word of a lie, it gives me chills. That moment of triumph just, I mean, it just, it just gets me every single time. Now, maybe for you, sports isn't really your thing, and so that's not going to do it for you. Uh, but don't we all sort of have this, you know, our own personal highlight reel that we go back to in our minds of our own lives? And for you, it might be something like an academic achievement. It was a time that you made the honor roll or, or crossed the stage and received your diploma and graduated. For some of us, maybe it's the, the moment that you, you know, finally were able to purchase your first home or, or as, a, as a young parent, you, you got your kid, finally, we got our kid, you know, toilet trained. This is huge. These are massive moments of triumph for, for really any person. Now, I've also been thinking about it this way, you know, being at home as we are, we're not really going out anywhere. It feels like we've maybe lowered the bar a little bit on what exactly we will consider a moment of triumph. Like maybe for you, it's like, hey, I, I had a shower today, right? Like feels like a triumph, feels like a win. Or, you know, hey, I, I managed to not eat the entire Costco size bag of party mix for breakfast, right? Better than, than yesterday, well, regardless of how you would define a moment of human triumph, uh, no doubt that no matter what it is, depending on your standard, all of it pales in comparison to Easter and all that Christ triumphantly accomplished. Now, as we're going to see here in these verses here today, this crowd definitely had a sense as to who Jesus was. They, they knew that he was the Messiah and, and they knew that he had come to save them, but they were yet to realize uh, what kind of Messiah he would be, that he would suffer. And, and they had yet to realize what exactly the salvation that he would bring would mean for them. Now, I think if you, you know, fast forward to, to us today as, as those who have not just you know, Palm Sunday, but also you know, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, we have all of it in view. I think even we can be a little bit fuzzy you know, in our minds and in our hearts about these things. And so you and I, we need the reminder, we need the clarity on what exactly our king came to do. And, and as we're going to see here, it was a more triumphant achievement than we sometimes seem to recognize. 
And so with that, I want to read the passage to us. This is Mark chapter 11, reading the first 11 verses, follow along. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those who were staying there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Join me as I pray. Lord, as we look at these verses and just consider our own lives, Lord, we confess that sometimes we lose sight of just how triumphant a moment, not just you entering into Jerusalem was, but of course you dying and then rising again from the grave for our sins. We confess that, that we lose sight of how great that really was and is for us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we uh, work our way through this passage here this morning, that you would be stirring our affections for you, Lord, that that you would be stirring our gratitude, that that you would be humbling us here through uh, the reading of your word and so that you could get more glory through us, Lord. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for what you accomplished, what you achieved, the triumphant moment that all of Easter is. And so God, would you encourage your church with these things here today? Would you, would you teach us? Would you challenge us where needed, God, all again to the glory of your son, Jesus? It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, jumping right into the first thing here, here it is. Our king triumphantly came to save revealing that peace between God and man was his objective. Okay, now take a look at verse one with me here. As we work our way through the first seven verses, we'll see this. Look what it says. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem. Okay, pause there for a second. We're talking about Jesus and his disciples again, of course. When they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage. Okay, so you better believe that I had to look up how to pronounce that properly. They drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Okay, now where was this? What's the location? Some of us like to have our bearings here. Well, well, Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. So this was walking distance uh, for them. And this is where they set up kind of home base, if you will, uh, during their time that they were in Jerusalem before Jesus was arrested. So pick it up, continue. It says, Jesus sent two of his disciples, we're in verse two now, and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied 
on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it to me. Now, when we see that word colt, okay, probably what comes to mind for you is a horse, right? That's, that's what we typically think of, like a young horse, okay? But in those days, the word actually had a, a wider range of meaning, and it also meant donkey, okay, which was the word that the other gospels use. So understand here that Jesus is asking for a young donkey, okay? We'll come back to all of that and the significance of it, but for now, verse 3, Hey, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, as we read those verses there, maybe a few thoughts come to your mind as they do to mine. First of all, more of a question, like, like or, or maybe just a thought, like, that's a lot of detail in there for, you know, what appears to be a rather, you know, mundane mission to simply commandeer a donkey, right? There's a lot in there, a lot of verses, a lot of real estate in the Bible there, uh, you know, for just this, okay? But... But what we need to really understand here is that these verses are the fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. You know, where was that prophecy? Well, it's in Zechariah 9, verse 9. This will be on the screen for you. Look at it with me. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Okay, remember that the crowd is about to do just that. They're about to hail him. It's going to be hosannas and all of that, okay? They're about to do it. Now keep going. It says, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, and here it is, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so, so here in, in Mark, Jesus is giving his disciples very specific instructions here, directions to make it crystal clear to us that he is that king, right? That king that, that Zechariah said would come and bring salvation. Okay, what might seem at first glance to be a lot of kind of unnecessary detail there is actually itself a triumphant moment. Why? Well, because, because scripture is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And on, on, on top of that, you've got Jesus revealing his, his omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing. He's like, here's what's gonna happen. Here's what you're gonna notice. Here's the conversation you're gonna have, right? He's revealing even in that, that he is God, right? He's describing what, what is going to happen. And, and so when the disciples, they go into the village, it, it, it all happens exactly as he laid it out. Uh, right down to a T. Now, another thought that comes to mind when you read these verses, and, and, and for me, it's a question, right? Like, why a donkey? Right? Like, why, why that specific animal? Because, you know, if you and I, if we picture a, a triumphant king entering his city, you likely imagine him riding, uh, you know, an impressive, if not imposing, war horse, 
right? Something epic and, and strong and, 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 and mighty in that way. Okay, well, realize here that, that donkeys were actually seen as symbols of peace. And it wasn't even unprecedented for kings back in this time uh, to ride a donkey. In fact, Solomon actually did it on the day that he was anointed king. And, and 1 Kings chapter 1 uh, shows us this. You can jot that down if you like. This is verses 33 and 34. This is his father David said, uh, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule. Okay, and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. And remember that Solomon was the king who would rule during wartime. Okay, no, no, that was his father, David. He would rule during peacetime. Okay, and he would be the king who would build the temple, which is something that God didn't permit David to do, even though he wanted to, because David had been a king of war. Okay, he had shed much blood. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Okay, so when Jesus here in Mark obtains this donkey and the disciples, it says in verse seven, threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And then of course he, he, he rides triumphantly into Jerusalem as we're gonna see next. What is he doing? Okay, well, well he is revealing that peace is his objective. Okay, that, that ultimately he's coming to bring peace okay, between God and man. Now, I know some of you are going to be thinking, well, wait a second, wasn't he still a conqueror as well? Well, well yeah, he, 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 he was, that's true. He, he would defeat sin and death uh, through uh, his resurrection. We know that. We know that you know, he will defeat his, his enemies once and for all at his second coming. Okay, but here in Mark chapter 11, what he's revealing is that his overarching mission objective is to secure peace between sinful mankind and a, and a holy, righteous God, okay? Which is, if you think about it, the great news of the Bible, right? It really is. And that's what the entire thing is, is driving to uh, since the very beginning back in Genesis when, when mankind fell through the sin of Adam and Eve, okay? Because here's the, here's the ugly truth. The ugly truth is that you and I have deeply offended God. How? Well, we've done that through our sin, okay? All of our sins, which are which are many, are against God ultimately. It's against his, his holiness. And we, we, we've transgressed his, his righteous com, uh, commands, which renders us what? Well, it renders us guilty before him, right? It, it makes us enemies of God. Okay, no, no peace whatsoever between us and our creator, meaning we are 100% deserving of his, of his wrath, okay? We're, we, we deserve judgment. We deserve hell even for all eternity when we die. Okay, furthermore, on, on top of all of that, the Bible makes it very clear that you and I cannot fix this problem. Okay, we, we can't, we can't do anything about it. 
You know, because I think some of us would be tempted to, to maybe realize and, and, and feel that, that prick in our conscience a little bit and, and think, oh man, like I, I have kind of made a mess of my life. And so, you know, starting today, I'm, I'm going to turn things around. I, I'm going to clean my act up and, and I'm going to live in a way that God will be more impressed. And, and then I hope that at the end, it'll all kind of balance out in my favor when I stand before him. Well, listen, when, when all of these things here that I'm saying are, 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 are landing on a person's conscience and you realize the state that we're in before God and that we cannot fix it, it is the most sickening and, and, and soul-crushing weight that we could ever bear. Okay, but listen, church, we, we need to hear that. Every person needs to hear it. All of us need to, to experience that, that the heaviness of that, that conviction under that truth. Because, because when we do, only then does it make the peace that, that Christ secured for us through, through his triumph over the grave, only then does it make that reality the sweetest thing ever to us. See, when, when Jesus was crucified, it, it may not have looked optically like triumph, right? In fact, we know that, that it didn't. It looked like pathetic, awful defeat, okay? But what was actually happening in that moment was that, that God the Father, while Jesus was suffering on the cross, God the Father was, was pouring out all of his wrath towards mankind's sin, all, all of his wrath that was meant for you and I, that we deserve, he was pouring it out on his son, once and for all. Hey, Jesus dying on the cross, he died as our substitute. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself so that you and I could be forgiven, so that you and I could have our slate, our ledger wiped completely clean, so that peace could be restored again or be established between God and man. Hey, which is exactly what happens when you and I, when any person believe in him and what he did for us on the cross and when he rose. Okay, that's why Romans 5 verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, okay, justification is when God declares us righteous. That is what happens when you trust in the person of Jesus Christ. When you believe that what Jesus did for you on the cross was, was for you, he died in your place. And that is a, a finished work. All of God's wrath towards you is satisfied in Christ. When, when you trust in him, you are justified by faith, by trusting. Okay. Since then we've been justified by faith. We have notice peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, okay, enemies no more, okay? That's the objective that, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem to carry out, okay? That is the triumph of Easter, peace. Hey, can I just really encourage you to, to glory in that truth this week? You know, to 
to really chew on that and, and to consider, like actually take time, okay, beyond hearing me say it, think about it for yourself to consider how astounding it is that, that God, through Jesus Christ, is saving us from himself. You thought of it that way before, right? He is a just God. He is a good God, a righteous God. And so he had to punish sin one way or another, but because of his immense love for us that he has as, as people that he made, he decided to punish his innocent son, Jesus, instead of us, right? Why? So that peace would exist, so that we would be at peace with him when we trust in Jesus and, and in the person of Christ and in the work that he accomplished. I mean, that right there, that's the gospel, right? And I would really challenge you if, if you are watching this right now or, or listening to this to put your faith in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you recognized that, that it's your sin that's, that's making a mess of your life? It's your sin that, that, that has destroyed any possible hope of a relationship with God apart from you trusting that what Jesus did those days 2,000 years ago, it was for you. Would you just confess your sin? Would you admit it to the Lord? That's, that's repentance. You're, you're apologizing for it. You're saying, God, I realize that my sin is against you. Would you forgive me? I wanna trust in the work that, that Jesus Christ did. Would you trust in him? The Bible says that when you do that, you will be forgiven. You will now be in a close, tight-knit relationship with God forever, where he will begin to transform you in very practical ways. He will transform your desires. And of course, we have heaven waiting for us at the end of this life where we will be face to face with him for eternity. Listen, if you have not done that and, and you have any questions about it or, or perhaps you're doing that right now, would you just you know, click that button above here that says uh, connections, right? It says, it says connection card and just fill that out and jot a little note in there for, uh, for us so that we can follow up with you and encourage you and just celebrate this amazing time or at the very least answer questions uh, that you might have. All right, well, Keep trucking here. We're gonna go into the second thing. Okay, our king triumphantly came to save, exposing our misguided ideas of what salvation should look like. Now notice verse eight with me here. It says, and many spread their cloaks on the road. Okay, so he's entering Jerusalem now. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Okay, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting. What did they shout? Well, they shouted, Hosanna. Okay, Hosanna is a word that they used to, to praise the Lord. It literally just meant save, right? So they're praising the Lord because salvation had come. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming uh, kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, upon first inspection here, everything really seems to be in, in order, okay? It really does. I mean, the people are obviously amped up about, you know, Jesus arriving on the scene in Jerusalem. He's finally here. I mean, his, his reputation had obviously 
preceded him. They, they knew and word had traveled of, of all of his miraculous deeds that he had done, his, his, the miracles that he performed, the wonders that they, had, uh, uh, that they had seen and heard about. He'd done that for so many people, healing people, all of that. I mean, many in this crowd would have actually you know, seen some of those things with their own eyes or been some of those people that he had taught or had healed. And so they respond here excitedly hailing him again as, as the long-awaited Messiah who had finally come to save. We have been waiting for this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus has arrived. He's come to save. His triumph would be our triumph, okay, which is true. Only there's a, a clue here actually in the text that suggests that they didn't quite get it. Okay, can you see it? Do you know what that clue is? I don't know, maybe you remember it from the time that we actually worked our way through uh, the gospel of Mark last year. Okay, well, it's in verse 10, and here's what verse 10 says. It says, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Okay, so that right there is the clue. That shows us that they had a a kind of a misguided sense or, or misguided ideas of, of what salvation would or should look like for them. Okay, see, in, in, in Mark's gospel, Jesus never actually talks about the kingdom of David. Okay, he, he only teaches about the kingdom of God. Okay, so when they're saying kingdom of David, what exactly is going on in their minds? What are they thinking? Okay, well, well, they're imagining that the Messiah is, is coming, uh, you know, as the same type of king that, 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 that David was, okay? And so you remember that. We actually already talked about King David and how he was a king of war and, and under his reign and rule in, Jeru in, in Jerusalem and in Israel, right, this, this nation uh, ha, you know, rose to prominence as David, most of the time anyways, led his armies out to victory, conquering all other neighboring nations. Okay, so they, they imagine here that, that the Messiah's objective, okay, Jesus, of course, is to come and liberate them or save them from Roman oppression. Remember, they were under Roman rule here and really give them more you know, national or, or, or military prominence that they had long uh, desired and, and wanted. Hey, just like the good old days under, under our father, David. Okay, only this time they were seeing it because it's in the scriptures. They were thinking of it as only bigger and only better and only more land and, and, and more comfort and more prosperity, more, more permanent as well. You know, it's, it's actually pretty easy to see why they would have thought that. Okay, we would have too if we had you know, lived during this time and had been in their shoes, okay? The Bible does say that Jesus would come from the line of David, of course, and, and, and God's promise to David about his offspring who would come after him included how, how God would establish his kingdom, okay? The, the, the Messiah's kingdom and, and the throne of his kingdom forever, 
Okay, second Samuel chapter seven talks about that. So again, it's, it's understandable how, you know, how, how the, the Jews would have been expecting that the Messiah's kingdom, his throne, his, his rule over all nations would be you know, very David-like, only maybe more epic. Okay, this is the salvation that, that the Jews had, had come to expect and, and imagined and, 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 and even desired. And of course, we know because the New Testament reveals it that, that the triumphant salvation that, that Jesus came to secure was, was a vastly different reality altogether. Okay? It, was to, it was to be salvation from the, the deadly dangers of, of our sin, as, as opposed to the deadly dangers of Roman rule or, or whatever you know, neighboring nation might rise up and, and threaten God's people. Now, while you and I can you know, read the scriptures and you know, kind of clear up that misunderstanding and, and those misguided ideas that the Jews had uh, about what kind of salvation Jesus would bring, have you, have you ever noticed how you know, in our own hearts and, and in our own minds and desires, they really betray the fact that we have our own, you know, misguided ideas of what salvation should look like. Have you ever noticed this? Again, we, we know in our heads, because we, we read it on the page here, right? We know what Jesus came to do. We know what salvation uh, was really uh, all about. But, but in our hearts, have you sensed that, that, that in the warped, reality of our hearts that have still yet to be sanctified as God's spirit will continue to do that by grace. But, but in our own hearts, we have this desire for salvation to, to, to look different, right? And that we want certain things that the Bible never says salvation is all about. And so maybe uh, you think these ways, some of us think, I'll give us a couple of examples here. Some of us think that salvation should be about uh, Christ giving me what I want, right? Does, does your heart function this way? Well, we'll kind of call this genie Jesus, all right? Where we, we imagine salvation being, all right, I, I, I'm a follower of Christ now. Now, you know, salvation is about Jesus giving me all of the things that I would ever want, right? Jesus is the one who should make all of my wildest dreams come true. He should be at my beck and call. Every whim that I have, he fulfills. Again, just like a genie. Do you have that? Do you, do, are, are there things that your heart just longs for and, and wants? And, and when you pray for these things and, and you don't get them, do you, do you, get, do you get down about that? Do you, do, you get, do you get angry towards God when he doesn't answer your prayers the way that you want? Well, all of that suggests that we have, again, a kind of a misguided understanding of what salvation is really about. Maybe for you, it's the genie G Jesus. Some of us, though, think that salvation is still really just about doing you know, good things and being rewarded okay? or, or doing bad things and being punished. Okay? So let's just kind of think of this as karma Jesus. All right, And many of us think and kind of relate to God and think of our salvation as this. Like, hey, I, I, you know, I, I'm sitting, you know, in front of my TV screen today and I am, you know, got my Bible open. I've got my pen ready. I'm taking notes and following Pastor Mike on the screen. That's a, that's a big old check mark in the good job box 
that, that, that God is going to give me. And, and so he is impressed with me and he's going to give me that little, that little pat on the head and, and good job, little Johnny Christian, right? I did good things and therefore I will be rewarded or receive more of God's love or even earn my forgiveness. We think about that. Or, or you have a bad day. Right, one of those days where you get up and you eat the whole Costco bag of chips and you don't put a shirt on and you don't even go outside and you don't read the Bible and you just sit in front of TV the whole day and, 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 or, or, or far worse than that. And, and, and you're thinking, man, like the Lord must not be real impressed with me today and he must not love me and I'm probably gonna be punished for this. Right? We, we sometimes operate this way. We think that we need to earn our salvation and, and again, it shows that we have we have misguided ideas of what salvation is about because it's not about that. Other of us, of, of us think that salvation is kind of like fire insurance, right? I, I just, I pray these magic words and, and that's really the end of it. I'm, I, I'm saved. I, I get to go to heaven someday, but, but till then it's about me just kind of live, essentially living however I want with, a, with, with really no involvement from the Lord uh, after that, okay, think about this as like firefighter Jesus. And so for you, it, it's like, you know, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, but, but my life from that point doesn't really reflect what the Bible says a Christian's life should look like. And so I, I really think of salvation as, as it's fire insurance. And he's, he's allowing me to escape from heaven, but in the meantime, I, or escape hell, but in the meantime, I'm still wearing the crown. I'm still sitting on the throne of my life. Hey, does, does one of these three examples here uh, represent you and, and just how your heart can be misguided in terms of what salvation is really about? Is this something that your heart struggles with? If so, what's the answer here? Well, the answer is reminding ourselves or reminding our heart and soul of the true gospel, reminding ourselves of what salvation is actually all about again and again until our hearts change until the Holy Spirit does that work of transforming us, right? So for example, if you struggle with kind of that Jesus, or sorry, that genie Jesus mentality, you got to remind yourself of the truth that, that no, okay, salvation is not about God granting me every little self-centered desire that I have. No, the, the gospel reveals, okay, that, that, that now I live for him, Right? I, I live for, to, to please him and, and for his glory. My life isn't about me and what I want and all of my dreams coming true. My life is to furthering the mission of, of Jesus Christ, to bringing him glory in everything that I do. Right? See how that is the, the gospel reminding your soul and, and correcting those misgivings, misunderstandings that you might have. If you lean more towards karma, Jesus, tell yourself gospel truth preach it to yourself, that, that salvation, man, that, that's not a, a works-based system at all. It, it's not about me earning and, and performing for God and, and being rewarded or punished accordingly. Why? Because the gospel tells us, it's very clear in the scriptures that, 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 that my salvation is, is a gift from God. It is given to me by grace. I, I, I can't I can't earn this. I, 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 can't, I can never pay God back. And, and, and as I understand that, I realize, wow, God has already shown me and given me all of his love through Jesus Christ and by way of my salvation. 
God's love for me is never going to ebb and flow based on my performance. His love for me is, is constant. And so now I'm just going to bask in that and I'm going to rejoice in that and allow the truth of that to drive me towards serving him and bringing him glory. Okay, but if you, you know, in your heart, your misguided desire there, you know, relates to Christ and salvation in the, you know, firefighter Jesus type way, again, preach the gospel to yourself, right? Remind yourself, did, did you know, and, and really ask yourself the question, did, did I really understand true salvation in the first place? Okay, maybe you didn't. And maybe you, you, you thought you were saved, but as you look back on your own life, you know, you realize I'm not showing any evidence of this. Well, if that's the case, if you don't have fruit in your life of, of what a Christ follower should look like, repent of that. Get saved today and allow the gift of salvation to become yours as you repent of your sin and receive God's grace. Or maybe for you, if you, you know, treat Jesus as, as the firefighter, you, you got to tell yourself that, you know, as, as much as I needed Christ on that day that I, you know, put my faith in him, I need him now, right? And, and, I, and I need him every single moment hereafter. I, I am not God of my life. I am not the CEO of my existence. I am not Lord. Christ is, right? The, the gospel proclaims him as, as Lord and King over absolutely everything, over my desires, over my, over my time, over my money, over my relationships, over my entertainment, literally everything. Jesus is not just fire insurance, okay? You know, where you get to, the, uh, to heaven at the end of a very godless life, right? That, that, that's not how it works. You see how our hearts need that, that gospel reminder constantly, right? To dislodge, again, those, those misguided ideas that we all have of what salvation is or, or what we think it should look like for us. Our king triumphantly came to save us and, and, and transform us from, from all of that. Okay, including, now final thing, third thing, repairing our fruitless ability to truly worship God rightly. Okay, take a look at verse 11 here, final verse for us today. It says, and he, answer, or he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Now, while this might seem like a bit of a throwaway verse for us here at the end of this passage, or something to just kind of glance over to get to the next uh, verses here, okay, the fact that, that Jesus went straight into the temple, it says, upon entering Jerusalem, that, that, that's a very significant thing. See, the, the temple, what, what did it represent? Well, it represented God's presence with his people. Okay? And, and it was considered the central place of worship where God's people would gather. Now, if, if you were to read through the rest of, of chapter 11, you'd see that, that the next day, uh, a bunch of other things happen. Jesus curses uh, a fig tree, which seems a little random, but, but it, it eventually withers, okay? And, and, and the next, he, he angrily, you know, drives out those who had turned the temple, you know, from a place of worship into a, into a buyer's market, okay? All of that to say, 
Okay, worshiping God rightly, it, it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening in the temple. It, it had become very corrupt. Okay, it had become a, a farmer's market. It had become this, this, this money making enterprise and, 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 and so far from what it was intended to be. Okay, their, their worship had, had, had withered, okay, and was fruitless, which was the significance of the withered fig tree. It's what that represented. Okay, so when, when Jesus here, he, he, he says that he went into the temple in verse 11, it, it signified that he came to repair what was inherently broken, what was corrupt, what had grown to become fruitless. And, and, and that was mankind's ability to worship God rightly. And now when I use that word worship here, I, I'm not just talking about a singing, okay? Now, now singing is a, you know, a very crucial and very important you know, aspect of worshiping the Lord. And I know that's often what we think. We think about the songs that we sing, but, but when I use that word worship, I'm talking about the, just our overall ability to, to, to adore, okay? to, to revere and, and, and honor and, and, and show admiration and express uh, devotion to God Almighty. That's, that's what I mean here. That's what this is saying by, 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 by talking about worship. Okay, apart from a saving relationship with Jesus, we can do none of that. We, we cannot worship him rightly. Any, any effort to, to please God apart from Jesus is just a fruitless endeavor. It, it accomplishes nothing. Okay, Christ's triumph over the grave is, is the event, is the act that enables you and I now to worship God rightly. Right? Through his blood, shed for us. You and I are entered into the throne room of grace, into God's presence where there is what? There, there is peace now, right? We, can, we exist in a relationship with him. We are, we are made able and, and even want to, it's a desire thing, we're able to and want to worship our maker. Do you, do you appreciate all of this, right? Do, do you appreciate that that what the, the triumphal entry here on Palm Sunday actually means for you. Do you think about that? Right? It signifies that, that peace between God and man, it's on the way. Right? It, it is coming. It would, it's going to happen five days later when, when, when Jesus would be would be crucified, killed. He, he was murdered on the cross. We're gonna, we're gonna look to that very event uh, this coming Friday uh, in our service, right? And, and, and beyond that, it, it, was, it was pointing towards how, how salvation would be a, a, a far superior thing to all of those other misguided versions that you and I tend to, to hold to. That's what the triumphal entry signifies. It means that our, our king had come to, to fix, repair our, our, our fruitless ability to, to worship the Lord properly. Okay, how, how, does, how does all of this strike you today? Okay, is, does, it, does it humble you as you think about all that Christ came to do? Does, does it fill you with, with gratitude? Right, thanksgiving and, and joy, does it, 
Does it stir you up? Does it stir up your, your love for God? Like how amazing are you, Lord? As you, you know, see his, his love for you in, in these ways. Listen, we're gonna sing a, a song here as, a, as an expression of our worship to Christ. But, but first I wanna pray and I invite you to join me in that as we express our, our praise to him uh, in that way. Join me as I pray. Lord, we, um, we just wanna make much of you. Lord, as we look at these verses and consider the impact that this has had on our lives. And as we think about our salvation and everything that you went through, Lord, it, it, was, it was nothing short of the most epic, triumphant moment in the history of the universe. And so God, as we consider all of this, Lord, I pray that you would change us through this truth. Lord, I pray that you would, you would shake our our, our hearts that have maybe gotten hard or, or cold to these things. Lord, I pray that you would warm us against the fire of the gospel. Father, I pray that, that our appreciation for you and what you've done would grow. Lord, I pray that our love for you would grow as we see the love of, of our amazing God through sending his son, through punishing him instead of us, through defeating sin, through defeating death. Lord, yours is the victory. And so God, as that victory is ours, Lord, we marvel, we rejoice, we praise you, Lord, as we sing here, would you be glorified? We pray all of this thing, all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.